You're listening to Zen Sandwich, a podcast that inspires thoughtful people like you to live in the moment, be mindful in a realistic, achievable way. My name is Mark Reed. I've been a college professor and a lawyer. Now I make handmade paper in Japan. Twice a week, I bring my research and thoughts or sit down with coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs to talk about their process, what lessons do they learn along the way, and how you can make an impact in your world. Hey, here we are. You're listening to another Zen Sandwich interview. Today is a particularly important topic, and I have a particularly fascinating guest to talk about it. I want to discuss the importance of general science literacy. And my guest today is Dr. Anna Zakrizen, or Zakrizen. I'll let her straighten me out on that in a second. But Dr. Anna is a PhD biologist uh, slash ecologist with degrees from Cambridge University, from uh, the Max Planck Institute. Her doctorate is in marine ecology from Stockholm uh, University. Her followers on Facebook, myself included for quite a while, uh, are currently over 93,000. You can find that page by searching for Dr. Anna's Imaginarium. I'll put a link in the description. The, uh, the Facebook caption there simply and aptly reads, science and kink. <laughs> I think a lot of us can appreciate those things in some form or another. Uh, she is everywhere uh, through her brand, Dr. Anna's Imaginarium. She communicates science through collaborate, collaborations with artists, even opera singers, through lectures, by using comedy, you name it, operating as a link between scientists and non-scientists like myself. I really love that. Uh, be sure to check out her website, annasimaginarium.com. She joins me today from Berlin, Germany. Welcome to the program, Dr. Anna. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Um, was it you're in Japan now, right? Yes. So I'm an yeah, American yeah, so who, yeah, who lives in Japan, <laughs> and yes. I'm a Swede living in Germany. So <laughs> this international yeah. as it gets, right? <laughs> yeah. I uh, I was talking to someone <laughs> yesterday who was in Montana. I'm from Alabama. I live in Japan. You're in Berlin from Sweden. You know, it's it's the 21st century. We're here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, Dr. Anna, you have been described as a blend between a lumberjack and Downton Abbey with a vocabulary of a highly educated sailor. Uh, that's yeah. a perfect, yeah, <laughs> that's a perfect, perfect description for Zen Sandwich, by the way. I'd have you on the program just on, on that alone. <laughs> yeah, that, that, uh, there's absolutely some truth in that. Uh, I think it, it comes from probably my rather varied background. Um, I grew up in a really small, uh, little, uh, pardon my French, but shitty, still working town in, in, in sort of mid Sweden. And uh, yeah, there wasn't much posh there, can just frankly say. Um, but then um, I went on to, to start studying at Cambridge University. And, and of course, I, I managed to um, navigate my way through, through those kind of uh, societies as well that were there. Um, more or less successfully, at least. And, and I, th I think that what came out in the end after all of these years and um, having spent time with a bunch of different types of people, um, yeah, out came a mix of Downton Abbey and Lumberjack. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I, I didn't think there was, a, I didn't think there were any shitty towns in Sweden. I thought Sweden was utopia. 
Oh, there's a lot of shitty towels there. <laughs> a lot of them. Yes. My wife's going to be disappointed. My wife's Japanese, and I tell her, you know, she says, she asks me sometimes, like, do you think we'll live in the States? And I, I, again, I'm like, well, probably not. And uh, I said, if we live in another country, we're going to like Sweden, Denmark, or Finland, or Norway. And uh, so she's going to be disappointed now. But uh. <laughs> <laughs> and there's a lot, there's a lot of nice stuff as well. And, and of course, I, I do appreciate um society there to to a lot but um having grown up there of course i see uh the sort of yeah dark side of it as well so like that's everywhere when you grow up somewhere yeah yeah that's exactly right um well i uh i love the the your facebook page i love that description of you um i love it because you you make science interesting funny entertaining yeah and i think we need that and uh because dr anna not all of us can be scientists and uh (laughs) yes and you bring it would be a boring world if everyone were exactly (laughs) you know we need the artists and the thinkers and well i'm not saying that scientists are not thinkers that was kind of a maybe a wrong way to describe it but uh but uh we we need all the others and um it's just about how we talk to each other in the end yeah well, we need people like you who can be, who can be the bridge between that academic science community and us lay people who don't completely understand it. But that that brings me to my first significant question here. Why is science literacy, just basic science literacy for everyone, why is it important? Well, I think an illiterate society is very prone to um, magical thinking and populism. And uh, I think there's actually a direct risk to democracy. Mm. Uh, Because if you don't understand what it is that you're actually voting for, you are sitting duck for people who prey on situations like that. And this is why I think it's extremely critical that society is science literate. Science and technology is affecting our lives every single day, everywhere, all the time. And to think that it's okay to not spend money on education and literacy around these topics, I I think is frankly, it's it's horrifying when you think Mm. of the the impact that could have or have. (laughs) It's super, super critical. I mean... uh, Mm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I don't even it's, know what to say because it, it, it's um, all of these vaccinations, uh, the vaccination uh, discussions that we have now, we have um, uh, about climate change, we have this literally massive topics that mm. can change the course of the, fa- the fate of humanity. Um, right. And people still fail at understanding the most basic concepts of of certain things and it's often not their fault it's because the education system has been completely hollowed out in many places and magical thinking has been uh yeah replacing uh critical thinking and, and science but also having said that science literacy is one thing but the critical thinking aspect is another and I would like to separate them because um, you can very you 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 can technically be a, you know kind of not knowing loads about science itself because I mean in the end science is a methodology, but um, but the critical thinking about all sorts of um, aspects of society that is uh, 
that is something that is even more urgent that we learn. Um, but of course, through science literacy, you often learn a lot of critical thinking, and that is that is the the connection between them too. At least that's how I see it. I, I agree. And uh, you mentioned climate change. And uh, w while this is not generally a, a, a political show, uh, although you're welcome to express any, any views you have, uh, we are talking at a particularly historical moment in uh, mm. not just Ameri American history, but world history. Uh, yesterday, Joe Biden, actually this morning for me, it was like 2 a.m. here, uh, at the time of this recording, uh, yesterday Joe Biden was inaugurated as the U.S. president. And on day one, he didn't wait for day two or a year into his term. On day one, he uh, rejoined, he re-signed America to the Paris Climate Accord. Yeah, that was the first thing I heard this morning, and it made me so happy to hear. Yes. It suddenly I gave, gave me hope, uh, hope that I had, frankly, given up on. I think so a lot of people have. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I, I think most people who would listen to this show would agree that that's a good thing to, to rejoin that. Uh, America was really one of the uh, initiators of that accord during the Obama administration. But um, my question to someone like you is, can we do it? Can we, through a collaborative effort uh, across the world, can we lower or, or at least keep the temperature from rising say two degrees centigrade in the next 50 years can can we do it well i i don't think it's a question about can we or can we not uh, it's a question of uh do we want to continue to live here uh, like sustainably not sustainably do we, do we want to be here as a species in in 200 years time um right. but 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 put it frankly as well um it's not a dichotomy it's about if we do a little we'll probably have little effect if we put in a lot of effort we'll have big effects. So, um, so I think um, people tend to fall into this. Okay, so either we do everything or we do nothing. Right. That's and that point. is dangerous thinking, because um, most things in life is, uh, you know, you, you, you get out what you put in. And uh, as I see now, I work with green infrastructure, my, my consulting business part is, is uh, consulting for, for green infrastructure in, in uh, urban areas. And what we see more and more is that uh, there's starting to be better ROIs as a return on investment of uh, a lot of green technology. Um, and as that improves, uh, you can expect people also to, to be more uh, keen on investing and then suddenly starts accelerating very fast when people realizing that can actually make money out of this. Mm. Um, and, and, and I don't have a problem, I mean, I know that a lot of people on the sort of green side of things, they, they shun back when, when I talk finances or money around this. And this is also one of the problems, a problem, because if you want society to move fast, you've got to take the financial aspect into consideration. Otherwise, you just, uh, yeah, you become like a little fringe movement that has got extreme ideas, but nothing really happens. Right. So um, I think that um, just seeing like how business is green business is accelerating, people starting to make money off it. And then um, I think, I hope uh, we will start seeing a snowball effect, a good snowball effect. Hmm. Um, that's what I'm yeah, hoping for. I, you know, I have this uh, um, distinct uh, situation where, you know, I'm from America. I actually was just there in November and um, 
and but I live in Japan and, and Japan is is Japan has its problems, but it is certainly more eco mindful than mm. America is. You know, I go back and I'm, I I sort of had reverse reverse culture shock when I went back in November and I see people just just mm-hmm. not even recycling, just just chucking their aluminum cans in the you know in the mm. garbage can. I'm I'm like shocked, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but that as an individual, again, we're you know you're talking to a, a lot of non scientists here. Um, what can I do as an individual? I mean, fly on planes less often energy efficient light bulbs, a little bit of everything. What what do you recommend? Boating. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the fuck sorry for now I was almost swearing again. That's (laughs) all right. You can do that. This is one of those like completely obvious things that people forget. They like to sit and complain Mm. and not I can't do anything anyway. But you can Mm. you can actually put your vote literally on people who Mm. are not Trump. Yeah, you can you can do that and right. and you will have a massive effect with with that vote uh that's one thing um other things you can do um is of course um reducing plane flights is a great thing and i think i, I spoke to my husband yesterday about this because uh, our kids were talking about um yeah about flying and going abroad for for vacations and things and i just like i felt like such an old person but i was like thinking back to my own childhood i'm like the first time I was on a plane, I was in my late teens. <laughs> it was the first time I was on a plane was in my late teens. And that was not strange from where I was from because mm. people didn't fly. I had been abroad several times, but I had gone by car or train or bus. You know, we live in mm. Europe. It's easy to, to get to, to neighbor countries. But, but now people just, um, they just step on the plane and they they go without even thinking about it and i have had a lot of friends and, and acquaintances also like very sort of, sort of at least superficially green-minded people uh, at least they <laughs> they have that as an identity my identity is that i'm green but like when you start counting on the carbon footprint i'm like nah. <laughs> <laughs> um but but their their sort of uh, standard modus is basically to to think it's a kind of a human right to be able to go to Thailand twice a year for an entire family. And, and this has shifted in our minds so much just the past, okay, and I'm just gonna say like, okay, it was kind of a couple of decades ago, I was in my teens, but, but it's, it's still shifted very, very fast and within my lifetime. Mm. And, uh, and it didn't used to be like a seen as a human right to be able to do that. That was like once in a lifetime journey that you made right. with, with the plane. So, and now we we have we have great trains in Europe. We have great buses. We have uh, great services like that. So there's like there's no real need to just resort to this. Okay, I'm just gonna jump on the plane for for this and that, or a weekend here and a weekend there. And and people even forget to to. Uh, uh, to investigate or to discover their own surroundings, like their own countries. Um, sometimes mm. it was an extremely good um, commercial campaign from Deutsche Bahn, the German railway system, that's the, the state mm-hmm. system, and it, particularly in the beginning of the Corona crisis. But they showed basically pictures from like uh, fancy places around the world, like Grand Canyon or stuff like that. And they had a picture of somewhere in Germany that. You know, on the picture at least looked very kind of similar, and then it just said right. like uh, Grand Canyon 
1,600 euros, uh, some German city or like a town, and they just said like uh, 30 euros with a train or something like that. And so, so they, they had this next to each other. And even though it was kind of made with, you know, it was a commercial and it was kind of a little bit of fun, but there are so many amazing things to see here mm. uh, that I have stopped even looking at because I'm sort of just re reverting to, okay, I've got to go somewhere else to, mm, to be right. able to relax or go and see something. So that, that's one thing I think one can do. It's like start getting a little bit curious about what, what is actually in your surrounding, like, you know, train distance surroundings. And uh, right. you'll be surprised what you can find. Yeah, that may come. I, I don't know. That may come with, uh, I don't know how old you are, but I mm. I presume around my age, based on things you've said, I, you know, I, mm. I, I'm close to, uh, I turned 45 this year. And I think my perception has changed as I've gotten older. When I was younger, yes, I couldn't wait to go see Germany or mm. England or Spain or Asia. But now, uh I don't know. I, I'm more of like what you just described where like, I, I just want to go to the next prefecture here in Japan and just see, you know, this temple or this mountain or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so. yeah. I'm I just mean, as so, happy doing that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of course, like some, some travel I think is, is healthy to do, to see other countries and to experience other cultures. I, I think that's uh, very important. Um, but it's this sort of, the traveling like you know a lot of swedes go to thailand once or twice a year and they don't go there to actually experience culture they go there to sit in a hotel and just be <laughs> swedes and eat meatballs you know they, they, it's, it's just it's just meatballs with palm trees it's just right. uh, yeah it's just not really experienced culture truly so if you I hear okay, you. okay yeah. now half of sweden's gonna hate me hello everybody <laughs> Hey, I'm a man without a country because I uh, I have uh, one reason I, I keep this away from politics is like, uh, OK, so I'm from Alabama, which is obviously an ultra conservative state. And <laughs> yeah. I I don't have conservative views. It, you know, believe it or not, it can happen uh, to be from a place like that and not think like most people yeah. there do. And uh, but then I, I'll say something that maybe my liberal friends will say, you know, how could you think that way? And. You know, I, my my thing is about being politically independent, about, you know, using critical thinking, as you mentioned before, and deciding yeah. what I think is the right policy, not because the Democratic Party or the Republican Party, exactly. party told yeah. me to do that, but yeah. because I think this is the best thing. Mm. So. Yeah. So that, that is really the critical thinking and democracy link in a, in a nutshell. I could take one example, like, for example, this, about this Corona strategies. I don't know if you've heard about Sweden's uh, kind of failure in actually doing anything at all. But mm -hmm. the, the funny thing is that because I listen to uh, the news in, uh, in Sweden and Germany and I try to catch up on U.S. news as well and, and a, a few things. So so I get often the same topic from different perspectives from these countries and everyone are so damn sure that they're right, right. which is extremely entertaining sometimes but about <laughs> this corona thing it was like it kind of depends on who says what first so if the right side of the political spectrum says um we need to do a then mm -hmm. the left side has to say no we need to do b irrespective of uh if a you know whatever the truth is if a or right. b is the, the the best way according to science or critical thinking or whatever right hmm. so we had a situation now where the right-wing people in sweden said the same thing as the left-wing people in germany 
uh, <laughs> about Corona. Yeah. And I was like, I, I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. <laughs> like, what, yeah. what is going on here? And it had literally nothing to do with science. Nobody actually read the science. Nobody actually stopped and, and said, hey, guys, maybe we should just take the right uh, strategy to save the greatest number of people and and use our critical thinking skills to do that. And it's kind of irrelevant what the other side is thinking or doing that, or saying. <laughs> and that just, that seems so obvious to me. And that just yeah. seems so obvious. Like why politicize this issue? Why don't you take your politics and shove them up your ass? Let's just look at what <laughs> what is gonna work and get rid of this thing as quickly as possible. And let's just do that. We'll debate abortion and gun control and whatever else you wanna debate after that. But as far as this is concerned, a yeah. global pandemic let's just let's not be political let's be scientists <laughs> exactly you know, anyway. but but people are so certain and so sure and and people can get i mean because it becomes an emotional as soon as you politicize it becomes an emotional issue and then, well, then you have people shortcutting all their critical thinking skills and they just argue with their like what is it limbic system <laughs> right. and and it's uh it, yeah, this is frustrating. And you can see that with climate change, particularly. This is an issue that why on earth was it politicized? There was no reason to politicize this at all. Mm, it was just uh, some stupid coincidence that that made this. I mean, if you look back 15 years, it wasn't a Republican Democrat thing. Hmm. It wasn't. And then suddenly something happened. I, I've forgotten exactly what, what it was that made it tip over, but it was some, some key events. If you read the, uh, George Marshall's book, I don't even think about it, how our brains are wired to is it not deal with climate change or ignore climate change. Um, he, he, he discusses this topic in that book, I know, and, and that, that's really worth looking into because it can be transferred into other topics as well. How the how the process of politicizing politicis I was gonna say that in English politicization of yeah. of a certain scientific <laughs> topic that was really hard to say. <laughs> You're doing fine, trust me. We, uh, you know, at the beginning when I said my my wife and I talked about moving to Scandinavia, she's like, well, don't don't we need to? Wouldn't we need to learn Swedish or Finnish or? And I told her, I'm like. They speak English better than Americans do. If you if, if you can talk to me, you'll be fine in Sweden. Trust me. So you're doing all right, Doctor. Oh, let's see. Uh, you have a quote on your website that says, uh, "I only take on projects I scientifically and ethically believe in." Now, I I used to be a lawyer, and mm. I tried the same approach. It did not work. <laughs> yeah, I tried to only take clients that I ethically believed in. And uh, mm. ultimately, I had to I had to walk away. But law is a different area than <laughs> science. Mm. Uh, I love that you you do that. That ethics do play a role in your uh, in your research. Tell us more. What what specifically are you working on now? What what where is your research these days? Um, I'm as I said earlier, like we we'll work with uh, green infrastructure. That basically means the greening of urban areas. The cities can be green roofs, like vegetated roofs and walls and, and other types of, of green structures that you um, build in, in cities. So I work with a laboratory called Green Roof Diagnostics that is actually in Culpeper, Virginia in the US. Um, but we have a lot of stations all over the world as well. Um, so we have a super, super interesting data set. Uh, it's, I, it is the biggest data set in the world of hydrological behavior of, of uh, green uh, green roofs, particularly. 
And so, so that's what, what I work with. And what's super important for me, there's nothing I hate more than greenwashing. I absolutely despise it because um, maybe I explain well, what greenwashing is. It's basically yes. to try to, uh, when, when people say they sell something as being a great green solution to something, and it sounds mm. super great on paper, but in reality it might be like a really bad idea. I know that mm. there was like, um, um, there's some electric cars, for example, that end up being very heavy on the environment, uh, even oh, yeah. though they, they sound like a great idea on paper, right? Or, right. you know, when people are reporting. So that, that would be greenwashing. Uh, there are other electric cars that probably are absolutely fine. So please don't, don't start uh, like a very emotional de debate like people who are listening to this now because uh, I'm completely aware of that there are different types. But I just know that some of them have been, uh, yeah, greenwashed a bit. So, okay. so that, that is something that I am uh, very, very... Um, I get almost more upset about that than actually people who are like, uh, I don't believe in climate change. Mm -hmm. um, because if you, um, if you literally go out and you sell something as being uh, good for the environment, basically what you're doing, you're contributing to making people exhausted because they start feeling, okay, whatever I do, I can't pick the right thing and I can't make the right choice. Uh, so see. people give up. So um, this is something that I have dedicated my life to, to basically uh, never greenwash anything. And this is why I have this disclaimer on my website as well, so that um, it is basically just a frank just statement that basically says if, if you have a project where your, your aim is to, uh, to sell something that you don't really have the, the data for and you want me to do the content marketing for, which is something that I do as well, I will not take on that project or I will step mm. out of it because I will have a clause in the contract or something like that. It's just like, I don't, I don't want to, don't want to deal mm. with that. So um, That's good. then I have never been in a situation where um, this has ever happened um, because the projects that I work on, they have been fantastic. And, and also, you know, mistakes are always made the, the, you know, you can collect data and realize that parts of the data might have been skewed or in, in a, needs to be seen in a different light or stuff like that. So, so I'm not talking about these situations. I'm talking about those really blatant, um, yeah. yeah blatant well, I, I think, cons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, and I, I think a lot of what you're saying ties into what we talked about at the very beginning of just basic science literacy that people need mm -hmm. to have. And so that they can, they can sort of, uh, you know, decipher or find their way through the the greenwashing or the mm. the junk, the uh, propaganda from mm. the real deal, you know, thing. So, but it's hard. But it's really, really hard. I mean, it's it's um, it's also responsibility for for scientists to actually speak up and actually communicate their findings and their work, and to actually show themselves in media as an expert that people could possibly also ask about things. Um, because, uh, I mean, if, you, if you're in a still working town in Sweden, like where I grew up, um, how many scientists have you ever met? And uh, who, who would you ask if you actually had a question? And what, what is the media that you're exposed to? Uh, the media that you're exposed to is probably not the most scientific media. So right. um, there is a responsibility also for society to, to, in some way, also regulate what you are allowed to claim about things um because otherwise um i fear that 
it, 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 it just the, the, the sort of like um, paradox of tolerance as well. And it's a little bit of that you need to regulate a little bit what people can say and not say in order to actually protect free speech and protect democracy. And mm. I have not a solution exactly how to do that, but it, it, it is a conundrum that I am frequently um, thinking about and worrying about. Yeah, I talked about that on, on one of the previous episodes about the paradox mm. of tolerance, about, uh, mm. you know, we all want to be tolerant people, but we actually have to draw a line mm. or we <laughs> endanger our own tolerance because we if we allow total intolerance into our society then all, eventually the intolerant people will just will destroy us yeah. tolerant folks but uh yeah. anyway yeah. yeah um okay i uh at the end of each episode i uh, i do a segment called five minutes in and in it i try to offer the listener some realistic down-to-earth uh, thing or, or thought that they can implement in their day, you know, just like you bridged the gap between uh, the science community and us non-scientists, you know, I, this is not a show for a, an aspiring Buddhist monk. This is just like, I try to bring Zen thought to just regular folks who might not be familiar with it. And don't worry, you don't have to know anything about Zen. I, I, I tailor my question for my, uh, my guests here. Um, so with that in mind, uh, how can we be, so one of the things I talk about for example, is mindfulness. Um, and I, I asked this question a little bit before, but I want, what's something specific uh, that, how can we be more eco-mindful in our daily lives? Like aside from just single-use plastics, like I don't use single-use plastics mm -hmm. anymore. Like I, I've noticed what single-use use plastics are and I just avoid doing them. Give us something else, some kind of practical thing that on a micro level, as an individual, we can do to become more eco-conscious mindful i think it's just maybe ask yourself the question do i really need this <laughs> it's just because a lot of times you have the impulse or at least i have uh, the impulse of i want that i want that one yeah of course, <laughs> so, of course. And i want that one and i want that one and uh i have a little rule that for example on amazon which is terrible to use and i'm ashamed of it but um <laughs> I, I have a little bit of a, a sort of thing of uh, things I can reduce on, things I don't do and things I will do. I have a little sort of list like that. And there are some things that are just so practical for my everyday life that I, I just continue doing it um, in, in small amounts for my business. Um, but for example, if you are online shopping and maybe not just uh, spontaneously buy it immediately as you see it, but put it in the basket and have a rule that you've got to wait three days unless it's something that you need to buy like paper or something like that for for right, your right. printer but other things just just leave it there for two three days and let's have that as a rule and then you go back to it and say is it still so bloody great or did i just right. have two glass of wine and really wanted it <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that's, i mean it's I not, like it, it's, not it's, it's just a simple thing because if we all just reduce a bit that's going to have a large impact but I think that if we make too much rules around, uh, I mean, of course, it's good to like reduce uh, what, where we can, you know, I don't have a car, for example, I don't use single use plastics either. And I have like, you know, things that I, I, I associate with, with, you know, I don't, I almost feel disgust of it. So I, I, I but mm. I probably trained myself over years to, to develop that feeling. It's a bit like that sure. smoking anti-smoking campaign in the U.S. that they actually use disgust to get people to stop smoking, which is <laughs> genius, genius, genius. But anyway, so 
So I think that if we can just um, too many rules, we'll just tire people out. Um, right. And I think that uh, most of these things has to come from political decisions from top. I'm just saying like these things will no longer be sold because they are a terrible idea if we want to continue living on this planet. Right. Full stop. So there, vote, there number one. Uh, and then two, leave things in your shopping basket for three days before you actually decide to buy it. I like that. I like the, the the wait three days rule. That's that's very minimalist of you. You you fit right in here on the on the program. Would you would you consider yourself a, a minimalist? I don't know. Probably not. I, I have I but I find a lot of things on on the streets. I'm I'm a what do you call it? Like a um a re, a repurposer. Yeah, you repurpose yeah, something. I, I I like finding things because I always feel like they they have some sort of. Uh, I like the feeling of things. Have they have they've lived before? They they have experienced things. I know that things don't experience things. I'm I'm an, actually an atheist, but but I, I like the feeling of it. So I enjoy it. Right. So I I uh, people tend to hear in Berlin as well. If they don't want things, they just put them out in boxes and it says zu verschenken. And and often on Sundays you find this. So sometimes I take a walk with my daughter and like yeah, so it would be great to find a sweater and and maybe a, a chair. And often we find mm. exactly what we need and go back and then. And uh, so I like that, but I made it into sort of a hunt. So it's, it's fun to, to do it. Yeah. Um, I very, very much dislike walking in shops. I I, <laughs> I get almost into panic and that smell of, of the clothing and I don't like it. So, mm. um, so yeah, I like that much better. And I buy almost all my clothes secondhand and have a yeah, sewing we... machine. So. There, there's a uh, there's a Japanese word motanai, okay. which means uh, it it means waste, but it has a more deeper nuance here. That uh, you if you if something can still be used, even for a totally different thing, use it. Like we, <laughs> my wife and I don't. It, this was a new concept for me because again, I grew up in America where right. oh you don't need it, you know, throw it away. And uh, you know, I mean, I look back and feel guilty about this stuff, but. Uh, I don't get to throw away anything here. If I'm not using, <laughs> if it's just like, my wife is all over it. Like if it's just like a paper clip, I don't know. Well, we can use that yeah. to, you know, yes, <laughs> I swear she will find a way to use it for something. So we, we repurpose yeah. everything around here. And we have, there's a lot of groups here on Facebook and free your stuff, Berlin and, and things. So you can just take photo of whatever you have and then you just put it outside your door and then somebody picks it up. Because they really oh, need nice. it, they might be completely out of money and not have anything. So, right. That's, there's, there's a lot of like, um, like this uh, sharing sharing your stuff things here in Berlin. Oh, good. That's especially important now after this last year. Um, yeah, and people can't afford buying new things. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, Dr. Anna, thank you very much. Thank I, you. Uh, I will put the uh, the links to your your Facebook page and uh, the website on the in the episode description. You can also you can just Google Dr. Uh, Anna's Imaginarium. Even if you misspell it, Google will fix it for you and it'll pop up. I promise that works. It happened to me. And uh, so what what else are you working on? I saw something about an app, like an app coming out soon. Yeah. So because I am also involved in the Berlin uh, like fetish scene and, and king communities uh, it's kind of an important aspect of of uh, my life as well um, and and I like science so um, I really like to mix the two in one sort of <laughs> social community that you can uh, because it, there's, a, there's a lot of crossover for like there's a lot of scientists involved in both worlds and things so so I want to do that 
And it's a little bit problematic on Facebook because it's, it's uh, you know, you have, there's terms and conditions that you have to agree on to be on that platform, which is completely fine because it's a private platform and it basically um, forbids you to to post certain content. Um, you can you can apparently post a lot of like violence, but you can't uh, post a nipple because then people right. will get upset. Mm. So, uh, which, <laughs> you know, that's fine, terms and conditions and all, but, um, what I was thinking, <clears throat> what I'm developing now is basically an app. It's going to be a social media app, but it's going to be for Dr. Anna's Imaginarium only. Um, and there, there will be channels that are only dedicated to science, like groups, uh, like Facebook groups, equivalent, that will be dedicated mm -hmm. to science only. And then there's a few ones that are going to be non-suitable for work and also discussions around um, discussions around sexuality and, uh, and neurodivergence and, and all sorts of other things. Um, and uh, but as a, the, the the sort of public facing part of the platform is not it's not going to be a it's not going to be a porn site. It's just going to be uh, <laughs> certain channels that are dedicated to to topics that might be interesting to to discuss. Sure. Um, so so that it, it will there it will be a public platform. Like I mean, I can sign up or anyone yeah, else can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and it's just not going to be a charge on it either. So, um, <laughs> but it, it's going to be quite <clears throat> tightly moderated as well. So it's not going to be one of those uh open free for all like you can say and do whatever absolutely not because if you want to have this is the this is the the thing about the the, the uh that you have to have rules and restrictions around this because otherwise it's just going to be the most violent obnoxious right. and horrible person that is basically ruin everything for everyone and then you basically have no uh, uh productive discussions around like sexuality um right. at all uh, so so it will be very tightly moderated about things you can and cannot post absolutely but but it will be in a different way than facebook has set it up because i have mm. you know the community that i have has different needs than that that's awesome well it sounds fascinating i'll, I'll be watching <laughs> I, I think yeah i think i saw it was like uh the count there's a countdown clock i think it's like 21 days from now it will, yeah uh, it might That's be a little bit longer, actually, because of Corona-related things. The company that I work with uh, to to develop this app, uh, they have a little some delays, but in the next one or two months, it will be out at least. All right. Well, we'll be watching. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> I uh, I'm gonna I was gonna go buy some stuff, but I'm gonna wait three days now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Gonna, yeah. I'm really hungry, but I'm gonna wait three days now because Anna said so. <laughs> Doctor Anna told me to wait three days, so I'm gonna wait. Uh, uh, awesome. Well, I really appreciate that. Good advice. Good information. Um, if you like the episode, tell a friend. Uh, give us a good review if you're on Apple Podcasts. Uh, it really helps us there. I thank you in advance for that. Join our Facebook group. Uh, join Dr. Anna's Facebook uh, page, but join our Facebook group as well called The Zen Dog Life. Uh, you can find out about future episodes and interviews. Thanks again, Dr. Anna. This was amazing. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. <laughs>